Hello and welcome to EQ's podcast. This series, Pinch and Purpose, focuses on consumer attitudes towards unsecured credit. Based on our research, we provide strategic information for lenders to make positive change. In this episode, we discuss the diverse needs of borrowers and how the importance of flexible technology, such as open banking, can support them. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Richard Carter, Exec Chair at EQ Credit Services. And today I'm joined by Louis Ricks, CEO of 24-7 Money, the specialist car finance provider. Today, we're going to be discussing some of the findings from our ninth edition of the Credit Services Consumer Borrowing Research Report, entitled Pinch and Purpose. We'll look at the impact that the pandemic has had on consumer borrowing habits, what effect this has had on innovation, as well as the increasing demand for flexible credit that's more in tune with borrower demands. Alongside this, we'll touch on open banking, treating customers fairly, and how embedded new practices in business culture can positively impact performance. So quite a lot to go out there, Louis. I think we've got half an hour. Welcome, Louis. Yeah, there's a lot to cover there, Richard, in half an hour, but we'll do our best. We will Thanks, indeed. Pat. So um, delighted to have you. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of background on uh, 24-7, the entire group? Yeah, in, look, in, in a sort of a, in a nutshell, 24-7 group consists of two businesses today, uh, Car Finance 24-7, which is the consumer marketplace connecting buyers and sellers, and we're the conduit in between offering the finance. Um, that's been established close to 15 years, and it's run by myself and my brother, Reg. Uh, we come from an automotive background, um, but uh, we've always operated in the online space. And four to five years ago now, Richard, we set up our own in-house lender, specialist lender, uh, 24-7 Money, um, as we saw, uh, you know, I won't say a gap in the market, but we saw that there was there was space for a, a new entrant. Um, and at the same time, we wanted to almost be masters of our own destiny because we'd come through the 0809 financial crash when lenders disappeared overnight. So there's multiple reasons for us sort of entering the space. Um, and today we sort of put, you know, one in three, one in four loans on our own balance sheet. Uh, but that 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 that's the, the the two businesses and how they interplay with each other, and they're obviously Chinese walls from a sort of conflicts of interest perspective that you know we've um, that we take very seriously, um, and uh, and we manage that accordingly. Yeah, great. Do you, want, do you want to talk a little bit about the scale of the organisations and how many staff you've got and yeah. um, deals placed, etc.? Yeah, I mean, look, we 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 originate over half a billion of motor finance uh, motor finance each year. Um, we're based in Manchester, um, employ close to 600 uh, employees across the group now. And, um, you know, the, 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 the scale of, uh, of the business has sort of grown organically, you know, over the past sort of decade. Um, and obviously the early adopters coming online, you know, understanding if there's a, a finance option for them for a, for a vehicle. And that's kind of how we started out. You know, customers were declined at the dealership, came online, kind of get car finance today our customer borrowing base is very different, you know, uh, full spectrum, prime, right through to subprime. Um, And, um, you know, we get over 100,000 applications for motor finance nationwide each month. Um, Around about 60% are are approved at a a panel lender, including our own. Um, And our job is to sort of effortlessly and seamlessly transition that customer through the journey and into their new vehicle. Yeah, sounds great. So 600 staff, that's uh, that's quite a headcount. I can imagine, given the demographic of uh, 
the staff in Manchester, uh, COVID was a bit of a, a problem. Yeah, you could call it that. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was. Um, I mean, look, when 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 COVID hit, I think we everyone, every business owner, every you know, every individual across the country was um, in a sort of a, a bit of a blind state of panic and just not knowing. I think that was the mm. biggest concern. Um, I mean, not quite understanding of what the impact would be. So it was incredibly difficult um uh, period of time we you know i think covid i mean it was the 20th of march from memory back in 2020 so it's been over two years now but we remember the day well when we had to send everybody home um we adapted we were very agile we we got people working from home pretty much immediately um we had to make some pretty big orders of laptops uh, and headsets and what have you. but um but you know we were nimble we were agile we 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 got people working from home as quick as we could all our um from a, a technology perspective all of our communications are sort of cloud based so um we were able to continue servicing customers uh, but it was a very very tough time um, and and today i mean the vast majority of of frontline um you know people on the phones are sort of back in the business uh, five days a week well, that's good yeah, but, but there is the flexibility there for sort of professional services, uh, technology, uh, finance, risk, marketing, um, where the employ the employees that work in those uh, specific roles they kind of almost demand that flexibility today. Yeah, yeah, we we, we found the same actually, and uh, we're pretty much fully hybrid now. So we've we've still got the office. Um, I'm in in today. People can come in if they want, but pretty much people work from home. Uh, they're as productive, as efficient, if not more. Mm. And uh, I think because it's been two years, they've almost got, it's like having another job in some respects. They've got a completely different work-life balance, haven't they? They've, uh, mm. they've fallen into different routines that they haven't had before. Yeah. And so it's important to support them through that. I guess one of the issues that um, we, we've all faced at different levels is um, is ensuring that we uh, address mental health and uh, support people through that process because there's quite a lot of vulnerability of I guess in, depending on the demographic some people working from home in smaller yeah. houses no access to, to um, outdoor spaces which uh, which was tricky for everybody wasn't it yeah yeah I, I was going to say I mean when we look at all our feedback from our you know employee engagement surveys that we carry out you know financial stress is a big thing as well and mm. um, cost of living crisis obviously bills are rising inflations you know going to peak around about eight percent in the uk most probably yeah. this year and three percent next year so you know we've we've done a big piece of work in terms of role profiles uh, pay grades for certain um you know um, standards and, and grades of, of advisor as an example so we've been sort of contributing to the wage inflation that's happening in the uk at the moment uh, by um you know giving out pay rises to the vast majority of employees across the group um mm given what's going on out there but that, that's what we saw so it, it's yeah it's that it's the, the mental health around sort of sickness and well-being uh, but also the financial side so we have dedicated um, uh, individuals that our employees can call at any time for financial assistance or mental health assistance oh, that's good that's good it's probably worth stating at this point that it's um 5th of May today, the Bank of England is, uh, is sitting to yeah, they consider are. whether they raise interest rates again. The Fed raised by 50 basis points yesterday. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and the Australians have done it for the uh, first time, I think, in 13 years or 11 years or something. Um, I mean, what the forecasts say, though, Richard, I reckon interest rates, what, by 2024, maybe about 2%, anywhere between 1.75 and 2%. So that's kind of where our head's at as from yeah. a 
perspective. That's what we see. That's what we're forecasting. Yeah, 0.75% now. Um, expect yeah. to increase. I think you're right. The um, cost of living crisis. We'll talk about that in the, in the context of borrowers and lenders and, and what they look at in a moment or two. Uh, but when you consider the, the energy bills going up, average of seven hundred pounds a year, increased by fifty odd percent since April, um, with a with another rise later in the year, food costs going up. Just generally, it's uh, it's quite a tricky environment, isn't it? How does that translate into borrower? <laughs> from yeah, from, from twenty four seven money, as you'd expect. You know, um, we knew this was coming. It wasn't necessarily a shock or a surprise. Mm. I suppose the Ukraine and Russia wars exacerbated certain things. Obviously, food prices with wheat, etc. Yeah. Um, but you know, we've been um, proactively looking at what's coming down the track and um, updating and up. You know, re-looking at our affordability model as an example. So, how does that impact um, people's sort of buffer? Because whenever we approve someone a on our scorecard, but b on the affordability model, there's always a buffer, a financial buffer there for them. And obviously, yeah. that buffer was getting eaten into. So, we've obviously heightened costs from a um, from a data perspective when we're looking at someone's affordability and sustainability in the future. Um, so we've made upgrades to our affordability model whereby we're not passing as many customers from a, a top-level percentage basis as what we were prior. But what you've also got to take into consideration is the wage inflation. So obviously we get income um, and we we do income verification in different ways depending upon the um, the risk of the customer profile. Um, but the auto afford model allows someone allows us to give a, a guaranteed approval, Richard. But um, as you'd expect, we've done our um, done our homework and we've released updates to our afford model, and we've just got to keep a watching brief on on what the future's got to hold. To be honest with you, um, yeah. but we also profile our back book as well, though, Richard. So from a risk perspective, we need to, you know, uh, in twenty four seven money from a credit risk perspective, um, you know, what's the risk and exposure we hold to customers that we've already lent to so we've looked back and understood what percentage of our, our customer borrowing base um would still have that financial buffer if they'd applied with us today so okay. we've, sort of, we've sort of segmented and understood the kind of highest risk population and we're reaching out to them in a written manner in a written form to say look if you're struggling we're here to help well that's fantastic i mean it, it's often the case that some lenders in in the past have lens they've spent a huge amount of effort on that upfront decision and then uh, they've not really gone back and validated where those customers are and whether they're they're getting stressed or they're in a better or worse position and there's and there's, there's opportunities at both ends of that aren't there for um the, the better customer outcome and treatment yeah. just just on the i was going to mention actually just on um we were were small enough agile enough when covid hit as well from a from a forbearance perspective, when the regulator came out with a three-month payment holiday, we were fortunate enough that we could actually have a conversation, a verbal conversation with every single customer mm -hmm. that rang in um, to uh, to either request or ask about it or information. So rather than giving a carte blanche three-month payment holiday to everybody, we understood the customer's needs and requirements and whether it was right for them. Uh, for, well, it gave them the information, gave the consumer the information to make an informed decision, Richard. So um, we were kind of just at that sort of right size really we weren't too big whereby we couldn't do that because we repurposed some of our underwriters and retrained them on collections because mm. we weren't originating in april we we stopped origination 
uh, in the lender 24-7 money. And we didn't start re-originating again until June. I think it was June when we started back up again. And we had the support financially from our uh, banks, et cetera. And, and, and they, they're, they're being wonderful to us through, through the crisis that we've had. But actually having those detailed conversations with each of the individual customers enabled us and, and the performance of the overall coming out of COVID, you know, 95, 96% of those customers that did have a payment holiday are fully up to date with their payment um, profile now. So... Brilliant. Uh, that was that was that was a that was a good thing that came out of it. You know, we sort of repurposed um, some of our resource, upskilled, up trained, and we took that as a uh, I don't know. We took that as a uh, kind of a um, a chance to um, upskill um, enhance our vulnerability training. So, uh, well, a understanding and spotting vulnerability, and then how what to do with it when you see it. So, signposting, free debt advice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so we're, we're in a far better position now for the crisis happening than we were pre. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That, that over the last few years, pre-COVID, we'd looked at more of a move to automation for everything. You know, the more you can automate, the, the more you can make customers yep. service themselves, as it were, um, and then focus on those those really tough, gnarly problems where they need to speak to somebody. Yep. Uh, I think what COVID showed us was that um, there's a lot of people who welcome the outreach yeah. rather than having to to kind of go and self-serve. And so um, I would imagine that that's going to build quite a lot of loyalty in the future, isn't it? You're going to get more people going back and that, building and, that trust. Yeah, it, and trust is massively important. And it, it was in the um, um, the report, the 2022 report mm. that Equinity um, I produced around that sort of uh, consumers going back to lenders that they trust and they've used before. Yeah. I think it stands us in good stead that we have over you know, 100,000 people each month coming to us. So I don't think we necessarily have a problem there. But using automation in the collections world, as an example, we um, released, uh, it was only a simple change, uh, but um, Stripe payments. So for consumers who missed their DD, rather than us picking the phone up and following the collections process, we've updated our collections process and we're now give a little bit more less intrusive look a text message missed your payment we'll give you 48 hours you know to, to make before we'll you know reach out to you um and around about 12 percent of customers each day that are, are, are missing their direct debit are then using that stripe payment interface that's great. so it's, it's kind of just simple examples like that where automation can help but that's what customers are demanding and that's what customers want um so again it's only a small example but I think, you know, for, certainly from a back-end collections perspective that we manage in-house, it's definitely that kind of, for those customers that don't want to speak to us, have that automation and digitization there and the services that they need. But those people that do want to talk to us because they, they, need, they need to when we're asking them to, um, you know, we need to cater for their demands and needs at, at the right time and be there for when they need us and obviously, you know, um, apply forbearance where, where it's required. Yeah, it's absolutely a blended approach, isn't it? I mean, some people respond well to those kind of push notifications. They see them everywhere, don't they? You see that you've got an Amazon delivery coming. It warns you that you've got to go and do something about it and make sure you're in um, the same on payments as well. Uh, just take you back a little bit. I remember when we met, I don't know, about six years ago, you were talking me through, well, we met years and years ago before that, <laughs> yeah. didn't we? We've known each other longer than that, but yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, we better not talk about that. It's such a long time. But about six years ago, you talked about the um, the use of data, big data, the analytics that you were doing, and, and you just touched on that a moment to go with the with the retro. You know, just talk about your experiences with open banking 
then um, I guess if there were any wins and fails with that and where you see that moving in the future. So, I mean, obviously, I suppose data, there's lots of it today. Um, lots of businesses profess to have data and lots of lots of it. And it's the important thing is how you treat it and what you do with it. Mm. Uh, when we first looked to move into lending, we were fortunate enough to um, be able to sort of reject reference and retro-analyze past performance of the loans that were written anonymously within the data, within the broker, yeah. you know, within the marketplace, car finance 24-7. So that gave us a little bit of an advantage. Um, and we understood where we wanted to play, understood, you know, the customer base we wanted to lend to. Um, but that enabled us almost to set off or start as a lender with history, which a new lender to market just doesn't have today. You've got to lend to learn almost. So we we, we started off and, and we dual bureau. So we use TransUnion and Equifax. That enriches the data set, Richard, um, to m make sure we're not missing any information to be able to say yes to more people. You know, part of our purpose yeah. as a group is to help people improve their everyday lives. And ultimately, we have a responsibility to try and help as many people as we can. So it's, um, you know, data has massively helped us and the lender. And moving on to open banking, we, we, um, initially started work with with credit kudos a couple of years ago and today we use open banking as our primary kyc check so around about 80 percent of customers now engage with open banking as a k as a, as a primary kyc check and then obviously we've got other services where if the customer doesn't want to go ahead and do that which is really high i know in in the, the pinterest yeah that you guys did i think the number was around about 70 percent, but that was to kind of get a cheaper loan would you kind of yeah. you know your data to try and get a cheaper loan um but if, i think it's really important the way brands and companies position open banking i know clear score call it clear score connect we call it 24 7 connect and it's the why that's really important so mm -hmm. You know, if it's if it's to improve speed and efficiency, wonderful, great. Most consumers like that. Um, to enrich a data set, to be able to say yes to someone, that's really important. So, out of the hundred thousand people we get coming and using our service each month, there's around about forty thousand people that none of the lenders on our panel, including ourselves, say yes to. We say no, sorry, we can't help. However. You know, there are some good bets within that 40,000 by using open banking data. So not not far from now, we'll be launching a, a, a purely open banking motor finance product, um, which enables us to say yes to more people, enriching credit bureau data with the open banking data, because we're, th we're talking about helping people 18 to 20 years old, thin files, Richard, um, customers who have had serious adverse but are now on the way back up. Um, or previous insolvency, should I say, um, and and their their opportunities to lend in a responsible manner using data to more customers to help get them back either on the credit ladder or kind of you know improve their uh, circumstances and you know move on to bigger and better things from a credit perspective in in the future. So you know, open banking data is almost going to you know transform and 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 sort of revolutionise the the credit world because. It's so rich, you know, from an income yeah. verification perspective, analyzing consumer behavior, understanding, you know, um, to make a decision. You know, so when we start lending, we're going to say, well, look, you've got to be employed earning over a thousand pounds. They're kind of like our policy rules, mm. if, if you say that. Um, but then you can segment the open banking data 
um, into, you know, do they have, you know, X amount of gambling as a percentage of their net income or you know, payday loans or whatever it may be? Because we're, we're kind of starting in that sort of underserved world, Richard. Yeah, of course. Um, but open banking data can certainly help in the prime world as well. Because if you think about someone who's prime, never had credit before, got a bank account, run, managed their bank account well, a normal lender might say, no, not for us. Uh, and, you know, I've had my brother-in-law in the past. He's got no credit other than a mortgage now. But yeah. I've struggled to get credit. But if you have access to their open banking data, you can offer the right product at the right time to that customer. So it's personalizing and tailoring the customer's needs uh, with a product that is suitable, easy to understand, and um, and obviously that's right for them. And it's a non-advice service that we offer. So, you know, the customer either buys or they don't, but at least it gives them the data to make an informed decision. So I, I can see the open banking data really helping us in that non-standard world, but also in the, in that prime space too, Richard. Yeah, I think it's at both ends, isn't it? I mean, you, you've got the um, you've got the opportunity to augment all of that primary data you collect with that open banking information, it gives you true insight into what they're doing with the money, how they manage their affairs, um, and uh, ultimately give you some kind of prediction about what they're going to do in the future. Are you, are you looking at that data on an ongoing basis and using that to influence yeah, well, uh, the, dealing with vulnerability as well? Great thing, yeah, 100%. And the, and the great thing is because we're using the open banking data as our primary KYC, we're collecting lots mm. of data to be able to analyse it and understand the individuals that we'd like to lend to. Um, obviously, from a you know from a vulnerability perspective, it's it gives you a lot more data to lend responsibly in it, in it, in it from a really high level. But I, I was speaking to our Experian account manager yesterday and they've just got hold of all the Klarna data, the 16 million, you would have seen the press release that came out yesterday. Yeah. You know, it won't be long now until, in my view, you, you buy now, pay later, providers are regulated. Um, but mm. the bureaus, TU and um, Experian now have the Klarna data. I was amazed. Uh, our account manager told me that 400,000 of the 16 million active live records, Experian weren't aware of those consumers, weren't aware of them. So that goes to show how out of date and old hat yeah. traditional credit scoring models are, Richard, because, um, you know, you know, if, if, I, if I'm a, an old school lender with a traditional scorecard, uh, you know, just based off uh, Bureau data, A, it can be... 30, 60 days out of date. Mm. Uh, B, for thin profile customers, there's not that much there to base your decision upon. And C, the bureaus don't have all the data. So as an example, those 400,000 that are now being fed into uh, Experian and TU, you know, that gives us, businesses like ours, the visibility to be able to then go on to make a decision. Yeah. And, and also on top of that, enriching it with open banking. I mean, you, you, you look, you could purely lend off open banking, you know. I, I mean, I, 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 you know, I see that happening in the future, 100%. Um, uh, and we're looking at lots of different things in terms of how, um, you know, from a product development perspective, um, we can um, enhance our offering, you know, in terms of, you know, for good paying customers, as long as we've got the... Um, unilateral sort of agreement in place at the start you know varying yeah. agreement a year into it if a customer's been a good payer richard you know why are you on a 19.9 apr or a 11.9 apr product when actually you know a year into it you've paid all your payments could you have a reduction in your apr 
potentially you know so there's lots of different things that are going on within the industry at the moment in terms of flexibility around credit yeah that's interesting isn't it, it moves us on a little bit to talk about um flexibility of product and um getting a customer for life almost and providing that that funding facility to go and buy a car and then identifying that maybe through open banking and some of the, the demographic changes that they could afford a uh, a bigger car newer car is that something you see on the roadmap as well about developing that yeah it's very poignant because if you think about our service i don't think anyone wakes up in the morning and thinks i need eight grand or nine grand yeah. and it need, i need a new car that's it uh, absolutely so um if you think about our journey you know we're very much focused on delivering a seamless journey for those customers who want it those early adopters richard that want a digital experience will still be there from a human perspective offering that service because it's a big purchase to those customers who want to speak to somebody but if you think about you know someone comes onto our website car finance 24 7 make an application for for a loan they land in our members area you know we need to be giving you know guaranteed approvals at that point which yeah. we do today but we then have car search because that's the exciting bit so we've got over a hundred thousand cars from three thousand dealers so that's the marketplace and the idea is to enable consumers to um tailor their quote tailor their loan play around with their deposit and the term um but ultimately proceed and to to go ahead with a vehicle of their choice um in a in a in a, in a sort of a non-intrusive way no pressure whatsoever they'll then go on to do the kyc upload a driving license you know watch a video in terms of the secchi um, and then execute the finance agreement so you know we see a future whereby customer you know sat in, you know sat in a pub me and you richard yeah. I've, just, I've just bought my car via 24 7 okay so that's the holy grail for us um but what we're looking to do is is enrich that journey using open banking technology for those forty thousand customers that don't get approved today richard so wide mm. landed in the members area sorry don't have a product for well you, you obviously in terms of the wording to be to be confirmed but ultimately we need some more information to be able to give you a decision click 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 as you know technology is so slick nowadays depending on the open banking provider you use we make an, a decision in the background, right, great, you're now approved, line of credit for six or seven or eight thousand pounds or whatever it may be for a used car. So that's kind of the world we see um, in, the, in the future. And, and we're working on that digital journey today. Um, and it's very, very exciting because we're seeing the early seeds of customers going through that journey. And it's really exciting for us because it enables us to put more in a funnel at the top, Richard, more customers and go and do the branding and the marketing piece that we, that we need to go and do um so it's exciting changes the balance of power as well doesn't it i mean historically it was the the balance was always with the um with the the finance providers about whether they would offer the financing into the dealerships to support the the sales what you're doing effectively is saying we've got a customer who's got pretty much a check in their pocket for for eight grand six or eight grand to come and buy a car it's a great point it's finance first we always kind of say we're kind of um car shopping you know in the past look at a classified site go down to the dealer test drive the vehicle and oh what you know what can you do for me i need finance yeah. we're saying it makes sense and we're doing an education process to get your finance in place first before you go shopping for your car so we're just kind of the other way around we turn the model on its head for those one and a half million customers each year that finance a car at point of sale at the dealership yeah 
Um, so, yeah, we're very much finance first. Come and get your finance in place, pre-approval, upload all your, your, your details, personal details, and we'll get you all verified and approved. Play, play with and tailor your quote online and almost confirm your order. And, and that's kind of the world that we're going to be living in, you know, in the next 12, 18, 24 months, yeah. because the industry is moving that way and consumers are demanding it, Richard. You know, your Gen Zs and your millennials and all this sort of stuff. They don't necessarily want to speak to me and you. They just want, they're kind of used to going Amazon one click, Richard, you know? So. Yeah, yeah. Well, look at Kazoo and Cinch and, and some of the yeah. other providers of, you know, mm-hmm. just go, oh, a car wow if you're shopping around and you get yeah. You yeah. can just go and buy a car online and get it delivered. Correct. Get it delivered. Off you go. Um, the fi- the finance is tricky because there's obviously a supplying dealer involved, but a self yeah. invoice dealer app, click click, off you go. You know that's not yeah. that's not. It's a challenge and an obstacle that can be overcome, Richard. That we're working on. Yeah, I think if, you, if you're working with all the reputable dealers, then then you're in a good position. Aren't you? You've got less correct. Uh, less issues with the vehicle. I'll just take you back to you talked about a video for for Secchi's, and that that reminded me of. Um, some uh, a question we asked years ago about whether consumers understand the finance agreement that they've um, they've got yep. into, and um, and it was interesting actually because something like fifteen uh, percent of people said they didn't really understand how the finance agreement works, and I, I thought, well, how hard can it be? You borrow some money, you pay it back, you pay more than you borrowed, and uh, yeah. you have to keep up your payments, etc. And then you think about all of the um, the quite small font. Um, 12 pages of documentation you have to issue to them that they typically, you know, they're, they're supposed to read through it in some detail, aren't they? But they, they don't. They're so excited about the purchase, they just sign it yeah. and, and pay the consequences later. Just talk a little bit about the videos and, and how that, um, presumably that's there to guide people through the process and, and help them with understanding what they're, what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, t- t- today how it works, and this has been a legacy really, Richard, is we'll actually talk the customer through the SECI. Um, the terms and conditions of the agreement and the fundamentals of the finance agreement, the numbers. Um, And we we did that because uh, we wanted to take it away from our account managers because it's a job that they didn't need to do. You know, they're on the phone speaking to Mm. customers and helping customers and guiding them through the process. So we have a a separate team within our uh, organization today. um, And their job is simply to talk customers through the second. And that is our our responsible steps, if that makes sense, Richard. That's our... How do you know? Well, we know because we've got recorded calls. Every agreement that's ever issued goes through that SECI process. But we're always challenging ourselves because you've got new entrants to market and they don't have humans doing that role. So we're mm-hmm. saying, actually, let's challenge ourselves on how how can this be done? And auto, you know, very simply, we need to take a manual process and automate it. So that five, six, seven minute phone conversation that happens today, that can be you know, within a digital world, online, within our app, within the members area, after they've selected a vehicle, or they've agreed all the figures. And that can be a, a a transcript, a video that we can time and date stamp. Customer has to watch it. They've got to be logged in. We know it's that customer. And yeah. that's our proof and evidence that the customer's been through that and they can't go on to the e-signing ceremony without watching that. Does that kind of make sense, Richard? Yeah, absolutely. It does, absolutely. I think it just brings it to life for, for consumers as well, doesn't it? Because so often the the text is quite dry. It's hard for them to understand what they're, what they're doing. And you can use that because, you know, every business has their own identity, their own DNA, their own culture. And you can bring that out with that with that sort of um, with, with that sort of video technology. You can sort of and, – and you can put it in layman's language as well. You can yeah, really yeah. kind of say, look, right, 
we've got to go through some a, a little bit of the the, the detail now. Um, it's important we get your concentration for a couple of minutes, and uh, you, look, you you can you can make it a bit more fun than a yeah. phone call that you might is a guy is he or she listening at the end of the call. Yeah, yeah, and of course, then what you can do is you could use videos for uh, for other things as well about how do I how do I do a settlement and uh, what happens if I want to go move from one car to another and what are my options etc. We we had um, we had something in our group ages ago that that did uh, provided a similar service for um, for mortgages where it would have um, an over in the video there'd be an overlay of the actual data related to uh, an individual's mortgage. So when they're coming to the end of the um, discounted period and you can move on to SVR and they explain what the options are yeah. so you can see something like that becoming more uh, more prevalent uh, to, to give more access to information for some of the consumers particularly those that are vulnerable that maybe want to listen to it or watch it a couple of times over because they don't quite get it the first time around yeah so just just talk a bit about the um, the brokerage side, if, if you can, we we've talked a lot about what you're doing as a as a lender and some of the analysis work that you're doing there. Do you see that other lenders are, are moving in a similar direction um, in terms of use of technology, or are they tightening up in in some areas, or are you, are you do you perceive that you're leading the way? Look, you've got you've got the A to Z. We're we're, we're definitely in the leading pack from a technology yeah. perspective in terms of. The beauty about having our own inter, our own lender is you can tie the digital journey A to Z, okay, from start yeah. to finish. Um, and we're looking at a prime product um, within the next sort of six to 12 months, Richard, to um, enable us to um, give the service levels that we need to be delivering. Um, so some mm-hmm. of our prime lenders, obviously I won't name them, but their service levels aren't fantastic. Yeah. You, know, you get refers for decisions, payouts can take a bit of time, and customers at dealership and the dealers go and just sign here on a pad and black horse and drive away. And that's yeah. what you're competing against. So, you know, there, there's lots of positives in, in us having the lender as part of our overall group. Um, mm. But in terms of other funders on the panel, um, there are some definitely leading the pack, if that makes sense. So, yeah. there are um, businesses that have come into the motor finance market that are fully digital fully api yeah. integration even payouts they don't even have man they don't even have physical payout teams that's all via api and you you, you yeah. know it's all automated and the the deal gets executed um so gone are the days richard you'll know these bank statements as, as an example you know we used to i remember years ago we used to have to speak to customers on the phone and say well look we need some bank statements you're going to have to walk into your branch and get them stamped yeah of course. it's like you know you think back and you go oh my god but then again you do think well you know the financial services industry as a whole doesn't move that quick however revolution is upon us uh, because customers are demanding it um but we have to tread carefully because trust is is huge within the space that we operate um but i do think new lenders and new entrants are giving other funders a little bit of a kick up the backside in terms of well actually to compete and to be writing business in this space today 
you can't rest on your laurels and rely on you know the technology yeah. that you have in place because for, for for marketplaces like ourselves and for platforms like ourselves we're digital we're tech savvy and you know we want to be working with those new entrants and ultimately they will win the business as long as their rate because best rate wins in within car finance 24 7 richards mm. all lenders compete with each other on the panel including our own so best rate yeah. wins but ultimately um, you know, we do look at service levels of other funders on the panel, and there are one or two lenders out there in the marketplace that we simply will not work with just because of their service levels and their technology X, Y, and Z. So they're missing out. So it's kind of like on a pendulum. You know, you've got some down here, some in the middle, some at the top end, and those ones at the top end are great because it keeps everyone else on the toes, and it, it, I suppose it, it goes to show what is possible. But making sure at the same time that you've always got customers' needs and interests and 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 responsible lending decisions are being made, really, Richard, um, yeah. is that important. It's best in class technology, isn't it? I mean, the, yeah. you're right. The tech moves so quickly these days, and, and customer demands um, have, have changed dramatically over the last few years. And you've got to keep pace with that. Otherwise, you're yeah. you're behind the scenes and. Uh, Correct. Behind the pace, you're just not going to get. Yeah, where and you the, need the to incumbents be. struggle a little bit because they might, might, they might, you know, be B two B, you know, so they might get a lot of dealer yeah. introduced, but and that's their business, which is fine. But for B two C players like ourselves, in terms of where the where the flow comes from, the origination, you know, we need to be making sure that we are one step ahead in terms of their expectations. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's fantastic. So as we bring this to a, this, this conversation to a close, it's been uh, it's fascinating insight into what you've been doing. What does the uh, what does the future hold for you? What, what can you share? Um, look, we <laughs> I get asked this quite a lot. Do you know? On, uh, <laughs> do you know? Do you, I do like a Q and A with all our new starters every month, Richard. Yeah. Um, so you know, within the group, there might be anywhere between twenty and thirty new starters each month across both businesses, and that's always a question that we're, that, that that they get asked, and it is very much sticking to our knitting if that makes sense richard you know we, we have tried to diversify and go off in other areas in the past and you kind of become a jack of all trades master of none so you know reggie and i are very keen on taking market share you know we're roughly about five six percent of the uk used car financing market today we want to be you know 10 12 percent get originating one to one and a half billion pounds worth of business um and um being that go-to consumer brand for consumers in the UK when they think car finance. Um, it's a huge market. It is quite fragmented, um, but the, and there's lots of space in it for lots of players. Um, and, you know, we're keeping our ears to the ground, especially on the new entrants to kind of understand what they're doing and how they're doing it and taking the best bits of it and adopting it and working it into our journey. You know, but the, um, the 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 great thing that we have is is that 15 years of trading experience, the brand that we have today and that we've built today. You know, the business spends in excess of 20, 25 million pounds on acquisition each year, marketing spend. So um, it's really exciting. But to answer your question succinctly, it's it's sticking to what we do best, and that is acquiring customers, working on. Our, our competence of our great people and wonderful people that we have within our business enabling that customer to self-serve and seamlessly go down the journey as far as they possibly can whilst from whilst remaining uh, vigilant of our regulatory responsibilities uh, but ultimately um, writing more business um, in the motor yeah. finance space um, and, and it's really exciting because you know we're, we're in the perfect we're in the perfect world you know more and more consumers are coming online your kazoos and your cinches, cinches that you mentioned before 
that aids us because it gets people thinking in a different way. Oh, I can buy my car online. Well, I need finance. So what am I going to do about that? Well, you know, you start navigating anywhere online and you'll come across us undoubtedly. And um, we've got to do a, a, a wonderful job in, in, helping, in helping those customers that need our support. So getting, uh, getting more customers into the right cars by the sound of it. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Well, look forward to, um, to supporting you through that process and seeing how it develops. Fantastic. I'm sure they're incredibly successful given, on the, given the last 15 years' performance. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, we, we've always reinvested the profits into the business and, um, it's, you know, we're a private group today. It, you know, it's, it's Reg and I and um, we're looking to keep it that way for the foreseeable. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah, what gets us out of bed each morning is the challenge and the fight and the kind of, you know, we don't pat ourselves on the back and go, we've done a wonderful job. You know, we're not perfect. There's lots of areas within the business that we're working on and improving and, and bringing better people in to, to, to help us to help us grow on and, and go on that further journey. Um, but, uh, but I hope people have enjoyed listening. And, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed I'm it. Sure, I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have. Well, Louis, um, Chief Exec of uh, 24-7 Car Finance, thanks very much indeed for today. It's, no uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Cheers, Richard. We hope you enjoyed the latest podcast from our Pension Purpose series. If any of the topics resonated with you today, do get in touch by emailing creditservices at equinity.com. Or for more information, visit our website, equinity.com, and check back soon for more podcasts.